my message today is the last in our series. We have called uh, this idea of words to live by based on Jesus' teachings in the book of Matthew. And the heart for our series is really based, I think it's summarized the most in Matthew 7.24, this parable that Jesus gives on the wise and foolish builders. 7.24 says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words, so Jesus, of course, speaking, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Now, of course, the spiritual truth of the parable being when you build your house on the rock, it is strong foundation. It withstands the storms of life. When you build your house on the sand, the wind, the rain, the storms come, washes it away, it implodes, it collapses. Jesus says, if you listen to my words, it's like building a house on the rock. We are building our life on something that is firm, something that uh, gives us uh, a strong foundation to withstand all the challenges and the things that come our way. And so with that in mind, we look at our text today, which is the last in our series, the last chapter, the last paragraph here in Matthew, in Matthew 28, 18, 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always to the ends of the age. So this is a famous passage of Scripture which we know and understand in the church as the Great Commission because it summarizes the global mission of the church. What, if you are in the church, if you're a believer, this is the mission that we are a part of. Jesus tells his disciples to go and take the gospel to all nations. And of course, we know from history that they did do this. These 11 disciples gather a small group of believers together. They gather for prayer and to discuss the, the future of the church and what they're going to do. And Jesus is now ascended to heaven. And how are we going to move forward? And as they're gathered together in prayer, they are filled with the Spirit. And then they proceed to take the gospel out to the world around them. And this is the fulfillment of Acts 1.8 when Jesus says this. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and the outer ends of the earth. And this idea is what happens with the disciples as they begin where they are in Judea and Samaria and the local areas, and they're the nucleus, they're in the center, and it begins to spread, and the gospel eventually does go out, and it's going out into all nations. This is the 2,000 years later, the same mission the same purpose that we have as the people of God. We carry this same impetus upon us. It is the, 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 the purpose of the church is to advance the kingdom of God, to build the kingdom of God on this earth as it is in heaven. Rick Warren says this, if we follow Jesus, the great commission is not an option. I think those are weighty words that most of us, I think we know how important the great commission is but we're not always sure on how do we do it, how do we live it out? How does it make itself known and lived out and expressed in my life here in Kelowna in 2022? What does that look like? In my studies this past week, I ran across this quote from an author. It says this, when it comes to the Great Commission, there is a big disconnect between my no and my go. And I thought about that, I, I just, it's like so simple, but yet it's profound, it's got a rhyme, like it's just such a good, quick, succinct sentence, that idea that 
I identify with, I'm sure you identify with it. We, we know that there's more to do. We know we should be more bold, more courageous. We should share more, do more, say more. But there's a disconnect between that. I think sometimes we wrestle with that. And when the Canadian church is like, how do we best reach as, as Canadian believers in Jesus? How do we best reach our nation? When our nation seems to have a growing intolerance towards the church, and it basically would say that all attempts of evangelism, it, it looks at with disdain, like evangelism and the idea of sharing your faith to convert somebody to your belief system is looked at with quite disdain in our culture today. The Angus Reid Institute, which is the, the leading uh, poll organization in Canada, just released a comprehensive study on spirituality in Canada. The last one came out in 2018, pre-COVID, and uh, this is a good kind of comparison or a good snapshot on how Canadians have viewed spirituality, how they have changed maybe some of the trends and things that we're seeing and looking at. And I like it because it's a good scientific poll. It's got lots of great cross-sections, and this is something that pastors have been looking at. This just came out April 18th, so it's just a month ago that this has come out, uh, reflecting where Canadians are now. And the top findings is, uh, I don't think anybody is overly surprised, this general rejection of organized faith. But for the first time, more Canadians now believe that religions, organized faith groups, cause more harm than they do good in our country. Things have shifted in our culture, and the idea of the organized church, the idea of like the Christian faith even, or the idea of evangelism and the gospel, and all these things have become kind of a, a dirty word. How do we move forward as God's people in this politically correct, woke culture that we find ourselves in. Christ followers in Canada today need wisdom on how to navigate some challenging issues. There's a plethora of issues that we as believers have to try to reconcile through. And, you know, we can deny those things, we can hide from those things, we can pretend they're not relevant, but the people in our life that are far from Jesus, they want to know how does following Jesus fit with these things. They want to know the answer. They want to know how do we work this stuff out? How does it all fit together? They're asking those questions. We're at the one-year mark of an unfortunate anniversary in the history of Canada where the first unmarked residential school graves were discovered in Kamloops. And that number from around 215 has now grown to uh, about 2,000 so far and more being discovered. And it's really a blight on our nation's history, but the unfortunate element of this for us as believers navigating these issues in the world today is this is a blight on organized Christianity. And we can, you know, think through that and like it or not, or it's not fair, I wasn't a part of it, or it wasn't me, or it was a Catholic church, or it's not my church, or it's not Christianity, or we can't just deny and explain this away. There's, there's something that has shifted in Canada in the, the narrative of what is going on in culture and around the Christian faith. It's having a profound impact on our nation. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says... 
as God's people, we carry the ministry of reconciliation. And this issue with our First Nations people is an issue that we need to keep talking about and learning how to respond. The, it's a good time, I think, for Canadian believers to actively listen, to actively repent, and actively care for these issues for the, the people who have been impacted and affected. And I think where it's a wrong posture to deny this issue or to try to explain it away. I think what the world is looking for is for us to bring hope. How do we, how do we follow Jesus with this and how do we make sense out of these things? The credibility of our Christian testimony rests in how we respond to these types of challenges in our culture today. And I don't mean just this one isolated issue. I mean, when these things are coming up and we're trying to think through how do we follow Jesus and still bring the truth and all of these things, there's a wrestling that's going on. And it's not so much always just about the answer we come up with. It's about our posture in the conversation. It's about how we're entering into dialogue and how we're being approachable from other people. And are we willing to learn? Are we willing to grow? Are we willing to be a part of a redemptive solution? And so even our own scriptures tell us that without love, everything we say just sounds like a resounding gong, like a clanging cymbal. This is from the scriptures. How do we fulfill the Great Commission when the world views my job as a pastor, our community as a church? How do we fulfill the Great Commission when the world views us as, as followers? How do, we, how do we fulfill the Great Commission to a world that only hears a clanging cymbal? And I think it's worth thinking through and worth considering and, and reflecting on. And this is a challenge for us in the church today. Well, the Great Commission is about kingdom expansion. And I think sometimes we forget that. It's not about church building, church organization, denomination expansion, bigger budgets. and The kingdom, the Great Commission, it's about kingdom expansion. If you've been a part of us for a little while, you've likely heard me get on my hobby horse of the Greek word euangelion, which is translated as gospel or good news. So when we read the word gospel or good news in our English translations of the Greek scriptures. It is almost always known as a religious term. But in first century Rome, it's a political term that announces a significant shift in leadership. And the gospel of Jesus, when we hear this phrase, when we think of the gospel of Jesus, sometimes we think it's about, well, we're going to open our heart and we're going to confess our sins and invite Jesus in. And there's, there's some theology around that. That's not wrong. That's good. That's but the gospel of Jesus in its entirety is really the kingdom of God coming to earth as it is in heaven. It is about Jesus establishing his rule and his reign over the hearts of humanity. That's the gospel of Jesus. It's a shift in leadership. He's stepping into his authority as the savior of the world. And this culminates in the resurrection when Jesus breaks the power and sin over death, over humanity, and he now, after the resurrection, is now standing in front of the disciples. 
And he says he's been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And the Great Commission is best understood as Jesus expanding his kingdom. Yes, we participate, but he does the work. It's his kingdom. It's not our job to try and convince people to believe in something. I think we know that. It's not our job to try to manipulate and twist and, you know, change their perspectives. Be encouraged because Jesus is already at work in the lives of others. He is still advancing his kingdom. And despite all obstacles, he will build the church. The kingdom of God will go forward. He is at work in the lives of people all around us. He still reaches people who need him. Everyday Canadians are lost and searching. Everyday Canadians feel lonely and hopeless. Everyday Canadians wrestle with internal turmoil and mental and emotional health and pain and fear and anxiety. And everyday Canadians are seeking the greater meaning of life. And the Great Commission is God's people stepping into the work that Jesus is already doing, that he's already stirring and taking place in the lives of people. Jesus is active in Canada. He's active in people. Let Jesus do the work in someone's heart in only the way that he can. Look for the signs. Have the spiritual eyes. Have the spiritual ears to see and understand and look for the ways the Spirit of God is stirring in people's lives. And that's where we go. That's where the Great Commission comes alive. That's what we get to participate in. The other idea about the Great Commission is it's really about people. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. Depending on which translations you say, it could say nations, it could say peoples. The Greek word is ethnos, which is where we get the term ethnic. It's really saying all people, all people groups, everybody equally in all of humanity, that's who the gospel is for. Take the gospel to everyone equally. Don't leave anyone out. Don't exclude anyone from the gospel, from the good news. Jesus is reminding the disciples, this group of 11 young adult men who traveled with him, who he taught and mentored for three years. Do you know that they were Jewish and they spent 90% of their time with Jesus in a 13-mile stretch along the shores of the Sea of Galilee? And Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. He's resurrected. He's now going to go to be with the Father. He's going to empower them with the Spirit. And his directives to them is take the gospel to all peoples. It's not just for the Jews. It's not just for the 13-mile stretch of little towns and villages along the seashores of Galilee. It is for all people. Take the gospel. Take the good news. It's for people. The gospel brings hope to every heart. You know, every socioeconomic class, every cultural background can respond and does respond to the gospel. Nobody is beyond that reach. And how do we go? Jesus says, go. Tells the disciples, go. How do we go? Of course, we can go literally into missions. We do that. The church has been doing that. The early disciples did that. We go into the mission field. We go to new lands, new people, new cultures. That's a part of it. Globally, locally, we even have missions, partners, and workers that we're a part of in our community. This is a part of the church being better together. It's a part of us working together 
as the people of God. Not all of us can go to the mission field, but we have resources, we have, we have a strategy, we work together to accomplish much. Every month we support the Armitage family who are church planting and overseeing a ministry in Slovakia. They are reaching all throughout Europe and working with human traffic uh, work and, and relief in that area. Right now they've been bombarded working with Ukraine refugees who are escaping the war areas, making their way through their country. They've shifted everything about their ministry. It's not what they came to do. It's not what they thought they'd be doing. They bought a house. They've they got 30 people at a time are in there. They're maxed. They're tapped out. We took an offering. In the last couple of weeks, we sent $4,000 to help the Armitages, right to be on the front lines. It's about one church helping another church on another part of the world. That's how we go. It's in our resources. It's in our collective efforts. The Kelowna Gospel Mission is doing a great work on the front lines in our own city. At Christmas, we supported uh, an initiative for Harmony House to help women who are getting off the street, who are getting a leg up, who are getting some job skills, who are getting reestablished. And we were able in our community to raise over $13,000 over the course of a couple weeks over December to give to that ministry. That's how we go. But we don't just do it vicariously. There is a personal impetus upon go. It's an action word. And biblical scholars agree that Jesus' words to go are less about literal missions in other countries, and they're about going to the people, going to the people, the people around us who need Jesus. Because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He came to heal the sick, to set the captive free, to bind up the brokenhearted. And if you follow Jesus, you will always end up at people. Because Jesus is always looking for people. He's always with people. We can't follow Jesus and not be led into some element, some activity of the Great Commission. Let's remember that the Great Commission of reaching, of going, of making disciples, of spreading the gospel is really about people who need Jesus. And let's not forget that they still need Jesus. The other idea of this great commission and reflections on this is that it is a message of hope. The Roman Empire expanded its borders by going up to smaller cities, regions, and people groups that were weaker and basically like swallowing them up and expanding its own borders. And people that were overtaken by the Roman Empire had a choice. You could, you could pledge allegiance to Caesar and to Rome, and you could live peacefully in the Roman Empire, and you didn't have to, you know, abandon everything, you just needed to pledge your allegiance, that's usually what happened. If not, if you resisted, you would be uh, obliterated. And so what happens is by the time the Roman Empire is, is spreading, the Greco-Roman Empire is full of a plethora of diverse groups, subcultures, people that were from all different places believing all different things, and now they're all here together, and most of them, they didn't cross they kind of stayed in their own. They were, they were quite isolated in and of themselves. The fact that the gospel spread to all peoples in the Roman Empire from a small group of Jewish foreigners is quite remarkable. On the surface, one might wonder, what could a little ragtag group of young adults Christian men from, from, from Jewishville, 
from that part, those people, the foreigners? What, would they, what, what did they have to offer Rome in all of its glory, in the cosmopolitan cities of Rome and Ephesus and Corinth? Why would anyone give their attention to these uneducated fishermen, these simple farmers, let alone change their entire way of life to believe in a message of their God? And the answer is because the gospel will always advance because Jesus is the one building his church. He's the one advancing his kingdom because people need Jesus, because there's hope in Jesus. There's hope in his message. People we think are so far from him, but really they're near. And whatever the obstacles are, Jesus is still reaching people. When the seeds of the good news land on soil prepared by the Holy Spirit, it comes with a hundredfold multiplication. It flourishes a hundred times over. Yes, the Canadian church has some obstacles to overcome. And if we're going to reach our neighbors, there's obstacles to overcome. But the gospel has always advanced against obstacles. It always goes forward. Church, we have a message of hope. And Canada needs hope. There's hope in our message. There's hope in who Jesus is. Vancouver author and podcaster Todd Weeb writes... It strikes me that in an age of anxiety, the church ought to be marked by something other than fear and anxiety, particularly in reference to bearing witness. Again, I think those are some profound words. German theologian Karl Barth presents a critique of what he calls anxious Christianity. It's in his authoritative book, Church Dogma, The Doctrine of Reconciliation. Quite a title, well-loved by theologians. He describes this kind of anxious Christian faith, and I quote, it says, We're constantly questioning, worrying, complaining, accusing, and protesting against the world to be constantly upset about something, to be constantly voicing our concerns and troubles, constantly to be engaging either forcefully or quietly in the corresponding quarrels and more or less noticeably to then extend these quarrels to those around us. You may think Karl Barth, Barth wrote that about the church's response to the issues in our culture over the past couple of years. But in fact, it's from 1932. Barth believed in the renewal of all things in Christ. And when he looked at the brokenness of world and the destruction and the chaos of culture, being a German theologian in 1932, post-World War I, going into the chaos of the upcoming World War II and all the division and all the pain and all the atrocities and everything that was going on in the world in that day, this is what he says. The Christian has reason for nothing other than hope. Because Jesus came to make all things new. There is redemption in Jesus. There is power and authority in Jesus. There is hope in Jesus. 
And I know it's hard not to believe all the press and all the news and all the stuff and to think, you know, there's no hope. People are closed off. People are never going to believe in Jesus. But people are people. They ask the same questions that we do. They all want to know, what is life about? Is there more? Is this all there is? And the answer, of course, is that Jesus is the hope of the world. We hope because we know that he is with us even to the ends of the age. I'm going to invite the team to come, the band, as we prepare to close this message. As a pastor, I was thinking, you know, what is the hope and how do we respond and how do we position and posture ourselves and what do we have to offer Here's my take on the Great Commission, kind of more pastoral thoughts and prayers. The church has no hope to offer the world when our hope is in our buildings or programs. The church has no hope to offer the world when our hope is in our money or our fleeting job security. The church has no hope to offer the world when our hope is in a political party. The church has no hope to offer the world when our hope is in blocking a parliamentary bill that is making its way to the floor in the House of Commons. The church has no hope. I, I, I was going to say this. I was going to say the church has no hope when we think about masks more than other things. But that's behind us, so I don't have to say that anymore. But uh, the church has no hope when we're distracted, when we look at secondary issues, when we think that finding solutions to all these other things is what's really going to make something else happen. But the church, and I say, but the church has lots of hope to offer the world when we know all authority in heaven and on earth is in Jesus and our hope is in him and he is still alive and he is still building his church and the kingdom of God is still advancing in the hearts and lives of people he is stirring every day I asked the question earlier how do we as a Christian church the Canadian church best practice the great commission in our culture I think we look for the stirrings of Jesus at work in the lives of others around us. And we respond with a message of what the scriptures say, confident hope. I love those words. If you want to meditate on a scripture this week, meditate on the words confident hope. Look it up. We respond with a message of confident hope offered in love. And you know, The go that the early church did, just stick with me for a second. This is free. This is off script, okay? The go that the early church did happened when they were filled with the Spirit, when they were together in community, together in prayer. Could it be that part of our inability to bring the gospel with more fervor to the world around us 
is because of lack of prayer, because of lack of community, because of lack of connection and spiritual engagement with Jesus, with one another. And I would suggest to you that it can start in the smallest moments of your life. And it's not always about having the most amazing prophetic revelation that Jesus says, go and lay hands on that person and pray for them right now. I know they're a stranger, but they're going to get healed. In Jesus' name, amen. Like, that might happen. And if that's your boldness level, then, you know, kudos to you. Do it with grace. Don't look like a jackass, okay, when you do it. So that's on the stream. I thought this was the 11 or the 9 service. It's like, well, I, we'll edit that one out. Sorry about that. Um, you know, boldness doesn't mean that you have to be a jackass. It's, it's true. Boldness is about bringing Jesus into the moment. And it can happen on small little levels. There are people in your life, even people who follow Jesus, people who are with Jesus, your family, people that you, you're friends with, people that you know, that the right word of encouragement, the right seed of a prayer over their life at the right moment can make a profound difference. And what you're doing is you're actually entering in to moments where the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. And the more we do those things, the easier it is to step into those bigger moments when they come. The easier it is to begin to see with spiritual eyes, to hear with spiritual ears. The easier it is, and you know, the Holy Spirit came upon the early church, filled with the power of the Spirit, they went out. It is about the Spirit of God working and stirring in our heart as much as it is in the hearts and the lives of others around us. And so we listen for the little moments where we can join into the activity of the Spirit and what He's doing. 1 Corinthians 13.1 If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't have love, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. It is our posture that makes the Great Commission what it is. And as God's people, we need a refreshing upon us. We need wisdom in how to navigate some challenging conversations. And we need boldness from the Spirit of God to be the presence of Jesus in the moments that are needed. If you can, today I'm going to invite you to stand. And we're going to uh, go into a moment of prayer. And um, we're going to sing the song, Fresh Wind, as an invitation. And um, we're going to do this as a collective response for our church. It kind of would be like Judea would be your life. And Samaria would be our church community. And the outer ends of the earth would be the church in Canada, the, the global church, that we would have a fresh wind, that we would be filled again. We would have courage and boldness, and we would go where the people are, and we would go with Jesus. So, Father, we pray that you would stir something new and fresh 
within us. Our world is so challenging and so chaotic, but the gospel is timeless. And so help us, Jesus, to be bold and courageous, to be sensitive, to listen to the Spirit, and to trust that you're at work. And let our words and our actions not be a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal, but may they be a message offered with hope and love.